0: You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Friday, June 9th. This is the Christian Commute. I am your host Seth Dunn and you're riding home with me from Dubs How on the Hog Barbecue. It is it's Friday, which means Dubs is Dubs is open. I went to work today. My wife is sick and I thought to myself, "You know what? The kids are going to come home from their camps and if she's sick and she's trying to work, I should go home and be another body there." Just a Give some moral support. If not, you know, get the kids some snacks or whatever. So I'm going to finish the day from home, my work day from home. So I'm going to go home and do that. And since I decided to do that, which is a big deal for me because it meant, meant I had to skip ping pong day, which I didn't want to do. But you know, I love my wife. So I said, let me call my boy Shane and go to Dubs. So I just went to Dubs with my boy Shane. Speaking of my boy Shane, if anybody listening wants to hire an industrial engineer, you can hire my boy Shane because he's looking for a job. What what kind of great recommendation could you give to him? He's friends with me. It's my boy Shane. We've known about him on the Christian commute forever. So if you're in the North Georgia area, there's that. Okay. What do we got going on in the Christian commute today? Somebody actually sent in a question. I would have a full show, but she didn't send the question in until about 1130. I was actually on the way to lunch, so I've already made my show notes today. And the Bible chapter review is pretty long. It's four verses. It's a whole sticky note. When I made it, I said, well, it's almost a good thing I don't have a question today uh, because uh, I wouldn't have room for it. Today's show title is Rick Warren's Egalitarian Crusade. Rick Warren's Egalitarian Crusade. And let me just say this. Rick Warren does make me mad. And people lionizing Rick Warren and approving of Rick Warren as they have over the years upsets me too. But I I can almost guarantee I will not get as upset about Rick Warren and all his stupidity and his crusade against complementarianism as I was yesterday. Yesterday was a more intense episode uh, than usual, wasn't it? Did you notice that pause? You know why? Hear it? You hear the ice? I got a half sweet, half unsweet tea. I gotta drink this episode. So we're gonna have some we're gonna have some tea pauses before I get to the house. All right, what's the like I said, no question in the inbox in the Bible chapter review. We're still in Matthew chapter twenty-two. We're at verses twenty nine through thirty-three. Twenty-nine through thirty three in Matthew chapter twenty two. We're gonna finish it finish talking about Jesus' interaction with the Sadducees. And some Methodist church that took their sign down wants you to know that life is cray-cray, Jesus is the way-way. The TheTrueVine.cc. Uh-oh. That used to be, where am I? What street am I on? I'm on Wall Street. I'm on Wall Street in Calhoun. And there used to be some little United Methodist Church there named after it's It was like Nellie somebody United Methodist Church. And I never knew what the lady did to get a church named after her. And I used to drive by it and think, how long is that church going to last with all the UMC trouble? And it, it, the Methodist sign is gone. So I don't know if the church went out of business and sold their building or if they changed their name. But uh, one less little tiny United Methodist Church dotting the side of the road. The landscape of America is changing. And modernism, and I'm talking about the fundamentalist modernist controversy, had something to do with it. Anyway, sorry for the distraction. Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 through 33. Jesus dealing with the Sadducees. If you will recall from yesterday's episode, the Sadducees came to Jesus to ask him a question about the resurrection. They did not believe of the resurrection. And they wanted to ask Jesus an absurd question that he supposedly wouldn't be able to answer and maintain his belief in the resurrection. So they asked him about Leverite marriage and they said, alright, if, uh, if a woman gets married and her husband dies and so she marries his younger brother and so on and so forth seven times, whose husband is she? Or whose wife is she in the resurrection? Verse 29, but Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. By the way, that's Exodus 3. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So now he has silenced the Sadducees. So what does Jesus say to them? Like straight up, he says, you guys are wrong. You're mistaken. Here's why. Number one, you don't understand the scriptures, the very scriptures they cite. And number two, nor the power of God. So remember, these Sadducees are anti-supernaturalists, in, in a sense. They, they don't believe in angels and demons and the resurrection. Which, by the way, those things are easy to believe in, if you're a supernaturalist. if you I mean, if you believe in God, how hard is it to believe in angels and demons and miracles and whatever he does? But the Sadducees rejected these things. And even the the scant, if you can call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy scant, even the scant scriptures they did believe in, here they don't understand them. Jesus says you're mistaken. So before referring to scripture, which by the way, do you notice that Jesus does that? When he's answering people and teaching people, he refers to the scriptures. The scriptures are authoritative. When we answer people about the nature of God and the nature of our religion, we should refer back to the scriptures. Our our answers should be grounded in scripture. There are some answers to questions out there that are not grounded in scripture. You could go... If you had a a problem child, and they said, well, why, they went to the psychiatrist and said, why is my child acting up all of a sudden? The psychiatrist could say, well, his mother just got a job, and now he's not getting the same attention from his mother that he was, so he's acting up to get more attention. You don't need the Bible to notice that. That's the kind of stuff that just happens. But if you, in general, why is a child acting up and not being respectful to his parents? Well, that's the effect of sin. All right? Now, that's, that's the, the general reason why that's happening. But there's this immediate cause, which would be, oh, his mom got a job. But all I'm saying is when you get in any kind of situation, always be prepared to answer from Scripture. And that's what Jesus is doing. So the Sadducees have said, Moses said this. Alright? The scriptures say this. Jesus says, you don't understand the scripture. And he cites Exodus. So what's going on in Exodus chapter 3? Well, Moses is meeting Yahweh. I think it's the burning bush. And Yahweh says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what jesus says from the scripture oh excuse me i I skipped ahead i got a little distracted because there was some debris in the road forgive me uh before he gets to the scripture before he gets to exodus 3 jesus says in the resurrection they neither are married or are given in marriage and that's that's a phrase you should pay attention to there so think about uh in the days that the scriptures that talk about in the days of noah they were getting married and being given in marriage in other words that's part of the everyday course of life and the propagation of society being married and given in marriage like time is marching on and people are being married and being given in marriage that's a that's like almost like what it is to live here on earth as, as human beings Which, by the way, when we're talking about all this quote-unquote gay marriage stuff, don't downplay the importance of marriage and family. But he says it's not like that in the resurrection. So, in the resurrection, the the cycle of life and death, not to sound too Eastern, is is complete. Everybody who's ever lived is going to live, and everybody who's ever died is going to die. And the resurrection, that's it. We're all resurrected. There's no more need... For marriage, because there's no more having kids, there's no more wives who need husbands to support them. There's no more uh, there's no more inheritance to give away. So, you, I mean, dig down to the purpose of leave it right marriage. By the way, why, why did it exist? Because the people were tied to the land and they had an inheritance, and the widow needed somebody to take care of him. And there's no heirs in the resurrection. Therefore, we don't need marriage anymore. Nobody's having kids anymore. So they're, they're, they're not married and, and, and given in marriage. So anyway, it's not, who she married to is an absurd question. They think they're making the the resurrection an absurdity with their question. But really, their question's an, uh, an absurdity because they don't know the resurrection. They don't understand the resurrection or the power of God. Instead, Jesus says, we'll be like the angels in heaven. So the angels in heaven don't marry and get married. They're just spiritual beings. So he says, we're going to be like that. Alright. Let me pass some uh, horrible person with obscene uh, bumper stickers. What do you call those stickers? I guess window decals? You put them on your window instead of your bumper? where were your parents when you got raised Toyota Tundra anyway and by the way don't get too much of a theology of angels from this Jesus is talking about a theology of people and the resurrection and the point is like angels don't get married and raise families and and have heirs and land Uh, we'll be like them in the resurrection and then he goes to the scripture to support his point. Now Jesus is God, he can just say whatever he wants to and it's it is how it is. It's, it's authoritative. But he goes to the scripture. Haven't you read What was spoken to you by God? And you go to Exodus 3, like I said, I think this is the burning bush. And Yahweh introduces himself to Moses. I am the God of Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. These are the patriarchs. So when God introduces himself to Moses, he's saying, I'm the God of your your ancestors, the people you come from. I'm the God of your people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being the, the patriarchs of these people. And Jesus said, and he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. She's saying he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even in Moses' day, after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he was their God too. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to commune with their God forever through the resurrection. And the the implication here is that Yahweh didn't come up to Moses and say, I'm Yahweh, I'm your God now. He said, no, I'm the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they're dead. So this shuts down the Sadducees. So uh, strike three, nobody can get him. We're trying to trip him up. And the people are astonished with the teaching of Jesus. And as I end the Bible chapter review, I just want to point this out. And I think I've already touched on it in this podcast we have to be able to answer from scripture we have to know our scriptures to be able to do that dedicate yourself or at least some time of your life to the study of the scriptures so you can understand it and teach others because there are still people out there like the Sadducees today and they might not be trying to trip you up like they were trying to trip Jesus up but even as we go about our lives inside the church with other brothers and sisters we need to admonish one another with scripture because 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed and useful for training and righteousness. Alright, let's go To the empty inbox, do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics? If you do, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875. Like I said, there is a question in there, which I will answer, Lord willing, on Tuesday, and it's about religious liberty. Now let's get to Rick Warren's anti-complementarian crusade. Rick Warren is in, like, full Twitter meme mode. So, for those of you who haven't heard, the Southern Baptist Convention disfellowshipped Rick Warren's church. And it's a big deal when they disfellowship anybody, even Poduck Baptist Church, because they rarely do it. It's really rare for the SBC to disfellowship any church. You have to really do something wrong. Because when they disfellowship you, they're basically saying take your money with you because no one individual church has that much influence on the SBC it's just too big there's too many member churches for any one individual church to have much influence so you can have a church you can have a church like elevation or church by the glades which are circus churches or you can have you know a church not a circus church I enjoyed the service when I went there like the semi pelagian church over across from dillinger park in cartersville pine grove the vastly different. I'm going to tell you this: the people at Pine Grove would be disgusted if they watched an elevation or Church of the Glades service. They'd say these people aren't our denomination, but they're, you know, they're ignorant. And the convention is just taking everybody's money. But they kicked out Saddleback, and Saddleback is a huge, huge multi-site church. We're talking, I think they got like thousands and thousands of members. And not not only is it a huge church, it's associated with evangelical superstar, megastar, celebrity Christian, Rick Warren. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And last year, Rick Warren stood up at the Southern Baptist Convention... After uh, some talk was given to throwing his church out because they appointed a female pastor, not not an associate pastor, not a children's pastor. I'm talking about the head pastor, the so-called head pastor. Actually, a man and a woman, husband and wife team to be co-pastors, the savages. And Rick Warren got up to speak against getting thrown out, and he just bragged, there's no other way to say it about how many pastors he had trained and how many people had gotten saved through his church. He did not give a defense of egalitarianism or an attack of complementarianism. He just talked about how great he was. You know what? They disfellowshipped Saddleback anyway. So now Rick Warren is going to the convention in New Orleans on appeal to, to try and be restored by the messengers, by a vote of the messengers. and. He's emailing pastors. He's got a little website set up. He's tweeting stuff every day. And he's such a disingenuous man, a dishonorable man. Like, he, he tweeted out a picture of Charles Stanley who just died. We did a I don't know if Charles Stanley's been dead two months. I don't know if Charles Stanley's body is, in the, is cold in the ground yet. And it was a picture of Charles Stanley with, you know, like 19... 1930 or whenever he was born to 2023 Charles Stanley I think he was born in 1940 and it was like former Southern Baptist President Charles Stanley talked about getting saved after hearing the gospel from a woman preacher and now you want to ban woman preachers from the SBC which by the way is not true they want to ban women pastors the SBC doesn't have a position on whether a woman can stand up on Sunday morning in church and preach no, no church has ever got kicked out for that. Including Rick Warren's. Not that they should do that. They shouldn't. But there's no position on that. Officially. So number one. Rick Warren is using obfuscation there. He, he did the same thing with uh, a, a picture of Bertha Smith. Bertha Smith. Uh, I think she died probably when I was a kid. But she was an SPC missionary. Who was known to go and preach all around and was known as this powerful speaker that i mean she was like the the modern day lottie moon so uh Ber- bertha smith was a big deal in in the sbc in so i guess the early 80s late 70s in the late 80s and rick warns like, they wouldn't they wouldn't allow bertha smith now putting out memes And listen, he's not making arguments about complementarianism or egalitarianism. He's just saying, here's a famous person, and this famous person would probably agree with me. He did the same thing with Charles Spurgeon. He tried to make it look like Charles Spurgeon was an egalitarianism. Using deceptive arguments, the same kind of arguments that marketers would use to try to get you to go to Burger King instead of McDonald's. My brother told me the other day. My brother used to work, um, I guess, I don't know if he worked in sales or not. He worked in the convention and marketing. Uh, I guess the convention business, state tourism business, which is marketing. It's trying to get people to come to your state or your city. So he worked for like the tourism board. And he worked with salespeople and he told me, he said, salespeople have a different relationship with truth than the rest of us. So. It's not a, it's not a it's not below Rick Warren to use these sort of deceptive sales tactics to fool people. And Rick Warren's smart. He's not going to make long drawn out doctrinal arguments. He's trying to use specious arguments and logical fallacies like appealing to the uh, appealing to appeal to authority, argument ad populum, which by the way, these things work. These logical fallacies exist because they work on people. Get somebody with a PhD in philosophy and, and logic to sit and watch advertisements. They can sit and point out the fallacies. Doesn't mean the commercials don't work. So that's what Rick Warren is doing. So Rick Warren is attacking complementarianism. And Rick Warren's like, you know what? I was in, I was a complementarian is a complementarian until I wasn't, until something like three years ago. And then he decided when he was retiring, man, a man and woman could run his church for him. And all of a sudden, now Rick Warren's an egalitarian. What does it say about a minister? I'm talking a seminary-educated pastor who worked as, as his vocation as a pastor for 30 years teaching and preaching the Bible, that he changes his mind on... The doctrine of the pastorate after 30 years. Does it, does it sound like he really cared about doctrine at all to begin with? It seems like it would be a pretty important one. He, but by the way, he's always been shallow, and we know it. So he's on this, this specious, deceptive crusade to email the common man, the pastors out there, to vote him back in. Because here, and, and you know what, it seems like so much ego. Rick Warren doesn't need the Southern Baptist Convention. He's retired. He's like pastor emeritus at his church. He's a gazillionaire. He's made so much money off of uh, the Purpose Driven Life, which is outside of the Bible, the most one of the most best-selling books of all time. The Purpose Driven Life. Look it up. It's super best-selling. They're everywhere. He's made so much money on that book. And, and it's sister book, The Purchase Driven Church. Or let's say purchase. <laughs> Freudian slip. Purpose Driven Church. <laughs> I should write a book called The Purchase Driven Life. Um, he, he's made so much money on those books that he says he, he reverse tithes. That he just gives away 90% of his income and lives off 10 That's how rich Rick Warren has become. And he even tweeted out all the Baptist big shots like Bailey Smith uh, and uh, Ed Young, who endorsed his Purpose Driven Church book. Because whenever these evangelical superstars from Big Eva, the evangelical industrial complex, whenever they publish a book, they get other big shots to endorse it. I don't, I don't even think these people read the book. And like, hey, these other famous people say you should read my book. And it becomes like, you're, uh, famous people are validated by other famous people. It's like these people who say they're apostles. Well, John Wimber made me an apostle and he's an apostle. Why is he an apostle? Well, because I say he's an apostle and I'm an apostle. It's like this circular argument of like, oh, we're all famous That's Rick Warren. And it like bruised his ego, I think, that he doesn't need the money or notoriety. And his church certainly doesn't need the SBC. But that they got kicked out. And you got to understand, somebody else said this, I forget who did, but they were right. Most people at Saddleback Church or one of its campuses, they don't even know they're a Southern Baptist. It's not something that's emphasized. It's not even Saddleback Baptist Church, it's Saddleback Church. It's all this purpose-driven stuff. They don't even know they're Baptists or Southern Baptists. But Rick Warren's making a stink. He says he's doing it not for himself but for like the little guy churches. He's not. It's, I'm um, like I said, it's rare for a church to get kicked out but usually when they do it's because of this. Because here's the thing, Rick Warren was famous for being big. Uh, In the Paige Patterson days at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, a lot of you guys already know about this. They installed in the chapel stained glass windows of prominent Southern Baptists. Jerry Vines was on there. Paige Patterson and his wife Dorothy and their dog. So Paige, literally, he was the president of the seminary and there was a stained glass window of him, his wife, and his dog. And then uh, Paul Pressler was captured in stained glass and I forget who who all was on there but it was people like say a Charles Stanley or a Bailey Smith and you think why would anybody be in a stained glass window they would have had to have done something in church history have made some kind of contribution you know after Bible times it's not Jesus or the Apostles that were putting in stained glass like who are we putting in stained glass like you know, this is John Chrysostom, or this is John Calvin, or, or, or Martin Luther, or, or Ulrich Zwingli, that's someone who did something, Augustine, who made some huge contribution to church history. And you see Paige Patterson and Paul Pressler are in there, and you think, as a Southern Baptist, yeah, those guys did. They were the architects of, of the conservative resurgence. Jerry Vines was in on that. They took the the convention back from the liberals who would have seen heresy taught at the seminaries. They would have seen heretics go into the field who didn't even believe in heaven and hell in the International Mission Board. So these guys in church history brought the largest Protestant denomination or convention. It's not, I don't even think it's technically a denomination. In America, back from the brink of liberalism. Okay, put them in stained glass. Seems a little self-serving since these guys are still alive. But, okay. But do you know who else went? Up on the chapel stained glass window? Rick Warren. Rick Warren didn't do anything in the conservative resurgence. And, and now, honestly, he's seeking to undo it. Paige Patterson's the most complementarian uh, complimentarian person there ever was in Baptist world. His wife wears a head covering to church every week. She wears a hat. Nobody can ever say, Paige Patterson, why is your wife's head uncovered? Because Dorothy wears a hat. When Paige Patterson got to Southwestern as president, he, he fired Sherry Clowda. Who's that? Hebrew professor. Because she was a woman. He didn't think women should be teaching men at the seminary. Not theology, Hebrew. And you guys know I'm an arch conservative. I didn't care that my Greek instructor was a, a girl. I didn't care. But he got rid of her. And by the way, guys, Hebrew teachers don't grow on trees. The guy in in, in North Georgia here at my New Orleans campus, his name was Kemet. The only guy who taught Hebrew. And I think it, they shared him with Tennessee Temple. And then it's uh, Dr. England at the main campus. Like, you just have Hebrew scholars. You will just have them. And then when you're in a conservative evangelical denomination, like, you, you, like, sorry, we can't use the Catholic or the Methodist guy. We have to have a Baptist conservative Hebrew scholar. So getting rid of a Hebrew teacher is a big deal because it's a woman. Paige Patterson, uh, it was under his... His leadership that the seminary installed that Rick Warren window. And now Rick Warren's trying to do, undo Paige Patterson's work. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. And you say, well, why was Rick Warren on there? He wasn't a, he wasn't a part of the conservative Resurgence. He hasn't really contributed anything to theological discourse. I mean, I know we're 2,000 years removed from the cross. There's, if anybody's coming up with new theology, they're heretics. But Rick Warren is not writing systematic theology books. You know, he's not out there like saying Adam Harwood, who I disagree with, writing about Calvinism and Arminianism and everything in between. Like here's here is an academic work on the doctrine of soteriology in Baptist life. Somebody like that. Agree or disagree, he's not making contributions. What did he do? He wrote a pragmatic book, The Purpose Driven Life, which is super best selling, but if theologians dig, just Google around. When theologians dig into this book, like academic, serious type theologians, like Rick Warren, just switches between whatever Bible translation, English translation, he thinks makes his point. I've read a little bit of it, no, and, and uh, like three or four chapters, and I'm like, this is not good. at least you're supposed to, it's supposed to encourage you, but it's like, eh. It's like, it's like an easy believism salvation at the front. And then some pragmatism by Rick Warren. It's not really a sound theological book grounded in doctrine and scripture. It's just Rick Warren arguably twisting the Bible to say what he wants. But he sold lots of copies, didn't he? And he got invited to do the invocation at the presidential inauguration. I think it was Obama's first inauguration. He grew a church, multiple sites, thousands of people. And he's claimed to lead thousands to the Lord. So you know why Rick Warren was on that stained glass window? Because Southern Baptists respect number growers. He was a hero because he could grow numbers. Nickels and noses. And here's a guy, because Rick Warren went to Southwestern. Here's an alumnus of this school who's grown numbers. Forget that he's theologically shallow as a thimble if Rick Warren was a pool and you dove in head first you'd break your neck because he's that shallow forget that forget that his sermons twist God's word and they're nonsense because you can go to Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio with Chris Roseboro. he'll review Rick Warren's sermons and he'll just say here's this here's how he misapplied it here's this here's how he misapplied it Forget that he grew his church through secret sensitivity. I talked about children's schemes yesterday. Saddlebacks a church like this, just schemes for adults. Forget it. Forget that the members of his church are so undiscipled that they don't understand ecclesiology, that you shouldn't have multi-site churches, and that they don't understand that you shouldn't have women as your pastor. That just happened. Forget that. And by the way, can I make a suggestion? When you have a hero of the faith, and you want to name your kid after that hero of the faith, wait till that person dies. Uh, I named my one of my daughters' middle name is Lane. And that's after William Lane Craig, because I'm an apologist, and William Lane Craig's this great apologist, and I thought to myself, i got to be careful here, because William Lane Craig is an Arminian, and, you know, he's... He's not an open theist. People accuse him of that, but you know, this Molinism is kind of funny, and uh, he definitely has a different idea of Genesis than I do. But yeah, man, he's he's such a good debater, and he's such an evangelist. Like, I he his book inspired me to be an apologist or major in apologetics in school. So I'll name my middle daughter after him, and I always said like. Mm. I don't know about this because you never know with these guys. What are they going to come out and say? I remember he came out with that historical Adam book and I was like, this is stupid. But the thing about William and Craig, like I don't think they're ever going to catch him in a a sex scandal. He seems to be like a, a guy concerned with personal holiness and evangelism. He's way more ecumenical than I would like, but I had my disagreements with him. I named her anyway. Um... Jordan Hall's daughter. You remember uh, his his oldest daughter is named Reagan. Reagan, are you still listening to my show to fall asleep? Hey, John. Because now Reagan has a, a, a company in her bed. She got married. If you're still listening to go to sleep. And I think with Jordan named um, Reagan... Jordan Hall, for you guys who don't know, the guy who used to own Pulpit and Pen, my friend Jordan. Um, big time Republican. Like, very interested in politics. And uh, he named... I'm, I'm pretty sure Reagan is named after Ronald Reagan. But Reagan was dead. He had another daughter, and he named her Piper because John Piper was uh, inter, uh, integral in Jordan coming to an understanding of Calvinistic soteriology where he, he didn't come from that background. He came from more of a missionary Baptist background and, and uh, Southern Baptist missionary Baptist. So he named his daughter Piper, and then it turned out like, well, John Piper's kind of a wuss. and it's like i wonder if he regretted that i'll tell you this uh i have a girl that i went to high school with who lives here in town with me her name is her name is ashley and she is uh she got a phd i forget what it's in but it's like sociology or something but she's written books about the church before i mean she's a christian her husband's a christian i think they're I think they're homeschool, you know, the homeschool Christian people, like, real serious about their Christianity. You know, like, writing books and homeschooling their kids. And uh, I forget where they go to church, but, I mean, they are, they're a Christian family. You know, nice people. And uh, I was talking to them one time, and they were introducing their children to me, and they had one named Graham... Named after Billy Graham. And by the time they had named him Graham, you know, Billy Graham wasn't dead yet, but he was in his nineties. He wasn't going to do anything. And you know, Billy Graham led a life free of scandal. You know, you guys know I don't like Billy Graham's ecumenism or, or soteriology, but they named him Graham. And then they had another kid named Ravi. <laughs> they named him Ravi, And I remember them telling me that, and I already thought Robbie Zacharias was a phony. And I forget the other kid's name. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, if you're gonna, you, you need to name your kid Calvin or 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 Martin, Martin Luther, or John. If you, those guys are dead. Name them Augustine. Like my my son's name is Athanasius. Athanasius is dead. He cannot commit apostasy or heresy or get caught in some scandal. He's a hero of the faith, and he's dead, and his story is written. So they like this is Graham and this is Ravi and you know Ravi's was already had the academic scandal by then. <laughs> I saw him later. I saw him at an air show. I'm like, oh hey, it's Graham and Ravi and they're like, he's John now. <laughs> His middle name is John. We're, we're calling him John. Could you imagine being named Ravi? Every it's a, it's a Caucasian kid. Everybody knows you're named after Ravi Zacharias if you're American and your name is Ravi. Ah, so. If you're going to put somebody in stained glass, make sure they're dead. Uh, If you're going to name your kid after somebody, make sure he's dead. Because that way he can't apostatize or do anything stupid. My poor daughter will be having to explain William Lane Craig's stupid historical Adam book for the rest of her life. But that's what they did at Southwestern. They put a living man in stained glass. And now this man is having a war on gender orthodoxy in the Southern Baptist Convention. Not his own. You he, 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 know, he, Like I said, he doesn't need. He doesn't need the convention. And he's retired. I, I can't think of anything besides ego that would make him do this. Like, don't you understand? I've Rick Warren. I've trained thousands of pastors. I've saved 100,000 people. I wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren, let me tell you, should have been ignored and, con- and condemned by Baptists everywhere for the last 20 years. And he has been by people like Pulpit and Pen and people like Fighting for the Faith. He has been. He's like Joel Osteen without the, pro- the prosperity gospel. I'm going to repeat that. He's like Joel Osteen without the prosperity gospel. Shallow and super popular, but not so heretical. But, I mean, what is the ultimate achievement in Southern Baptist life? Is growing numbers. So this guy was a hero because he grew numbers. They didn't care that he did it by a shoddy book. And watered down bad, even deceptive sermons. And by Gottlieb. What's the name of that documentary? Ooh... There's a, there's a Church of the Tares. I've watched the documentary on YouTube, Church of the Tares, and see how Rick Warren uses, like, Frederick Taylor and scientific management and those type of principles uh, to, like, run his church like a business. I mean, he's just so wicked. They made a hero out of him, and now what's he, what's he doing? Attacking orthodoxy in a deceptive way. I don't know what's the lesson out of this watch who your heroes are don't make heroes out of people for numbers that the Southern Baptist Convention is bad uh, I don't know but be prepared when you're having to defend your beliefs especially in today's environment of pastors uh, the pastoral office and gender you're going to be dealing with people like Rick Warren who aren't making scriptural arguments who are trying to tug at heartstrings, which by the way is what he's been doing all along Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.